Hey y'all, this is Aggie with Adventures with Aggie brought to you by the Ryan Martin Foundation. Today we have our first episode of season four. We're so excited that we've made it all the way through three seasons of really amazing stories and adventures sharing the stories of athletes and people working in the sports industry. Today we have our first episode of season four featuring Zach Miller, who is a para snowboarder on Team USA. He's gonna tell us all about his amazing story all of his accomplishments within the snowboarding and sports industry and how excited he is for the Beijing Paralympics coming up in just a few months. Please welcome Zach. Well, Zach, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Awesome. I'm so glad you're here. You're my first snowboarder on the show, which is super exciting for us. We've done lots of sports, lots of very interesting sports, but I don't know how I miss snowboarding until now. So welcome. Um, but first, could you just kind of give us some background into who you are and what you do? Thanks, of course. Uh, so my name is Zach Miller. I'm 22 years old and I compete in a sport called para snowboarding. Um, there are two divisions to this sport. Uh, two disciplines. The first one is border cross. That's the one that's really exciting. It's essentially, if you've seen motocross before, it's a lot like that. It's releasing four athletes down a course full of bumps, jumps, bank turns, and various obstacles. And pretty much last one down is the rotten egg. And then the other one is called bank slalom. That one's a little bit more straightforward. It's a lot like slalom courses like you see in skiing and other sports like that. However, we just have banked turns and the occasional roller pack, uh, just small obstacles like that to build speed off of. And so I discovered this sport very early on. I actually had started racing before it was included in the Paralympics. Back then it was just adaptive snowboarding. And the way that my story starts is uh, right when I was born. I have cerebral palsy. And what that is in a nutshell is it's a brain injury that occurs during fetal development. Uh, most commonly, it's a stroke. And so if you just think of a regular stroke survivor and what that would look like as a teeny tiny baby, uh, the problems that usually arise are during growth. So if you think of it kind of like when you're planting a tree, when you're planting a little sapling and you have to put the stakes next to it to make sure that it grows upright. If you have a you know, small baby that has a, a weakened muscular system because the part of your brain that's responsible for it, the cerebrum, is damaged, then uh, it just results in all sorts of problems. And so when I was born, uh, my mom never put me down and she was just constantly holding me, taking me everywhere with her. And it wasn't until my grandmother came out when I was about five months old that she was holding me for the first time. And one of the things that she noticed was I wasn't tracking things with my eyes properly. I didn't show interest in keys or lights. And so I would react to sounds and such, but it just seemed like I didn't have any interest in looking at them. So she told my mom, it was probably a good idea to take me to an optometrist. And so I went to see the eye doctor and he basically came back. He said, it's hard to tell your baby is super young, but I can't necessarily say right now that he's blind or not. It, it is weird. He doesn't seem to track things, but he responds to certain stimuli. I would take him to Children's Hospital. They can probably figure out what's going on with your kid. And so sure enough, we went over there and it was there that I received the diagnosis of left hemiplegic cerebral palsy. And so I got to start treatment very early on. Uh, a lot of people with CP, it's not discovered until much later on when they're making 
a lot of shortcomings during their development. And so my grandma and my mom working together to find that out early was a huge thing for me. Um, again, back to that tree analogy, you know, if you don't brace it right, it's not going to grow straight. With a weakened muscular system, the skeletal system won't form correctly. So I was actually on my way to becoming paralyzed from the neck down. However, getting an early start, getting into physical therapy, working through braces and various treatments like that, I was able to learn how to walk correctly. I was able to learn how to stand up by myself, sit down properly, everything. And so one of the biggest things that was consistent throughout my life was my spirit of competitiveness. And I attribute a lot of that to my older brother. Uh, I have one older brother, his name is Josh. He's three years older than me. And he was super athletic, still is. He's the star of like any, any game that he plays. And one of the things that he was, one of the things that I always looked up to him about was that he was the star of our high school soccer team. They called him the magic man because it was like, he'd be on one side of the defender and then you'd blink and he'd just be on the other side with no explanation as to how he got there. And so I always looked up to him and I was trying to keep up with him. And that just developed a very competitive spirit within me. And one of the places that I took it out was my physical therapy. My doctors noticed I was unnaturally competitive with physical therapy. I would, you know, grip the table and push into them as hard as I could when they were just asking me to, you know, just, just do a basic reflex test. Um, I was, I was treating it like, like it was the Olympics. And so, you know, they told my mom, you got to find an outlet for this kid. He's so competitive. You should get him in sports. And she was like, I'm doing everything I can. He's in basketball. He's in soccer. He's, he's playing all the time with his friends. I really don't know what else he could be in. And they said, well, uh, you should check out our hospital sports program. Uh, I think right now it's February. So they're up at Winter Park teaching kids how to ski. And so she's like, I'll give it a shot. You know, what's what's harm in another sport? And so she dropped me off on this bus with 30 or so other athletes. Well, not even that. She dropped me off on a bus with 30 or so other patients from Children's Hospital that were all consistent patients. And so all of a sudden I was in this bus with a bunch of different kids who, even though they had their own unique situation, we were all kind of in the same boat. We all had our own personal challenges that we were working through. And we drove up to Winter Park. They gave me some rental skis and some rental boots and gear and they taught me how to ski for the first time. And so doing that at six years old, I, you know, I didn't really understand the point of skiing. Um, I was just like, oh, cool. Another thing for me to try. These are really weird though. I don't know how they work. And I kind of enjoyed it. I started to have a really good time doing it. And by the time I got home that night, I was so tired that I just fell asleep in the backseat and my mom drove me home. And when I woke up the next day, I wouldn't shut up about how much I wanted to go back. It was just this weird, new, challenging thing where my legs were just doing all this crazy stuff and it, it was hard, but it was fun at the same time. And I just wanted to go back and have another shot at it. And so I started to ski for the next year and a half until I was eight years old and I got on the lift at Winter Park with my instructor. I looked up the hill and I saw this pack of like five snowboarders rolling down the hill and they were having so much fun. I mean, they were, they were slashing the snow. They were yelling at each other. They just, 
were having so much fun. I turned to my instructor and I was like, I have to try that. I have to try it now. And she's like, okay, we can go to the bottom and see what rental gear they have, I guess. And I was like, yeah, I, I have to do that. And so I jumped on my first rental snowboard and I never looked back. It was the greatest, most difficult feeling ever. It was, it was like, I finally felt like I was doing something. I was doing something cool. Like I was doing something that I wasn't necessarily comfortable with yet, but just felt, it felt natural. It felt like, you know, this is something that I'm going to want to do all the time. And then two years later, I was 11 years old, still just riding with a hospital sports program. And that's when I found out that there was this new sport that was coming about. And it was called adaptive snowboarding. And there were rumors being tossed around that it would be included in the 2014 Paralympic Games. And so they were like, you should get on this because you're super competitive and you're constantly trying to go as fast as you can. So you should try this. It's, it's racing. It's a form of racing on a snowboard and it's basically through a terrain park. And I was like, that just sounds like the best thing ever. I have to try it. So I met this, this team and uh, there's only like three athletes on it at the time. Um, they all had their own disabilities. Uh, I think two of them were actually wounded veterans. And so I went to my first competition. It was just this local one. It was a USASA. It was nothing crazy, really just racing for bragging rights and, and like a cheap medal. And I was racing one other guy. Um, the gate dropped. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just trying to make it to the bottom. He started to pull away and then he fell in one of the turns and I went around him. I finished the race and I got a gold medal. And that's, that's when I knew that I was, I was hooked. You know, I was going to be doing this for the rest of my life until I just couldn't anymore. And I couldn't wait to tell my mom. I told her that I won. She was like, so proud of me. And I was like, yeah, this is amazing. I'm about to do the medal ceremony. I'll call you back. And so I go to this medal ceremony and I stand up on this podium with one other guy <laughs> and I get my, you know, cheap gold medal. And I just look down at it and I'm like, this is, this is it. This is what I have to do. And so it wasn't until a couple of years after that, I was 14 years old and um, I met this guy, Daniel Gale, at an event in Breckenridge that's hosted every year. And it's for adaptive youth that are interested in competing to show them what the elite level of racing looks like. And so in past years, it's primarily just been skiing focused, but they were putting together this U.S. snowboard team for para snowboarding and so they had these coaches that were there they had these athletes that were there and one of them that was attending was amy purdy and her husband daniel gale to give you a brief history about them they met uh, at a bar and basically just through talking um, found out that they had the same passion which was for just improving quality of life for everyone and both of them had a passion for snowboarding. And so they came up with the idea that they would start a nonprofit called Adaptive Action Sports that would help train injured veterans, civilians, anyone with a physical disability to come out and learn how to snowboard. And so they founded it together and they started getting athletes and they, they created a team, they created a competitive team, they started feeding the US team. And so Dan walks up to me and he hands me an adaptive action sports joke. Uh, he hands me an adaptive action sports patch. He looks at me and he goes, what did the fish say when it swam into a wall? And I was like, well, I don't even know who you are. And he just goes, 
bam. And then he laughs harder than anyone else in the room and turns around and walks away. And I was just like, what? I'm 14. What was that? What was that? I'm pretty sure like that's the kind of guy my mom told me not to talk to. And sure enough, he, you know, he comes back, he introduces me to his wife and he says, we have a snowboard team and you should come join us. We're over in Copper Mountain. And Amy says, you know, it's great to meet you. My name is Amy Purdy. Uh, you know, what snowboard are you riding? Show me your setup. And so I bring out my really old raggedy rental quality snowboard. And I'm like, this is it. This is, this is the beast. And she's like, okay, hold on. And she leaves. She comes back with one of her free ride boards. It was like a new pickle. It's like a board that is built to just be ridden in the park. And she hands it to me and she's like, this is yours. This, this is keep it and ride it and take good care of it. And I was just like, what a free snowboard. This is awesome. Like these guys are the coolest people I've ever met. Little did I know. Um, I joined their team later that year and they ended up just rapidly accelerating my career. I started traveling the world with them, going to different world cups. And I worked my way up until I had this breakout season at the end of 2018 into 2019. Uh, we started the season in Dubai which is one of the craziest places I think my snowboarding has ever taken me. I never would have guessed that, that would happen. But we show up to the desert and there's just a bunch of malls and we're staying in this hotel that's right across from a really big mall. There's a cheesecake factory on one side and then right next to it, just kind of attached to the building, there's this slope and this indoor ski area. And so it was crazy. They had penguins in there. It was the most ridiculous thing ever. And that was where I won my first World Cup medal. And I got this little plushy penguin that I still have. And uh, his name is Cuddly. And I am very proud of that penguin. My mom has it now. Uh, but yeah, that, that was the beginning of this breakout season where I went on to win eight World Cup podiums. I got a podium at World Champs, a podium at Dew Tour. And that was like, that was the year where it clicked for me that this wasn't just something that I loved doing. This was something that I could be the best at. And having that kind of feeling and having that kind of switch in the way that people look at you and treat you all of a sudden, um, that, was, that was kind of crazy. I used to show up to all these events and World Cups and you know get friendly waves. And now I was showing up to World Cups and people were you know, pulling each other aside and whispering and pointing. And then they would rush up to me and they'd, be eager to introduce themselves and it was just the, the wildest thing to now be held in that kind of light and with that respect all of a sudden and so I ended up making U.S. team qualifications I joined Team USA that that year and and now I'm here I'm living in Silverthorne Colorado and life is good uh, just training and getting ready for something that I've wanted to be a part of for as long as I can remember. I wasn't able to make it in 2014 because I was just tiny. I was so small. I was 14 years old. And in 2018, I worked my butt off and I got so close. I outqualified one of the U.S. team athletes in bank slalom, but I came 50 points short of border cross. And when I looked back at the results, I had missed going to South Korea by four one hundredths of a second. And that was probably the most brutal moment in my career was all throughout the season, people had been telling me that I was going 
and people had been talking to me about, you know, what are you going to do when you get there? Are you going to bring anything back for me? You know, take a lot of pictures for me. And the coaches were coming up and talking about how they were looking forward to working with me. I'd gone with them the year before for the test event and our final team meeting, he said, this is the crew that we're bringing back here this time next year. So work hard because we're trying to take some hardware home and having those expectations, that hype leading into our last deciding world cup and the head coach for the U S team, gathering all the U S athletes together and starting down the roster and then getting to the end without my name being said, it was the weirdest thing because everyone, everyone turned and looked at me. You know, he went through all the names and then, you know, people are patting each other on the back. People are wrapping each other up in hugs and everyone's just kind of like, my friends are waiting around me just to hype me up and go crazy. And all of a sudden he's like, and there's your team. And everyone just stopped and looked at me and I just kind of sat there like, really? And sure enough, he just kind of folds up the paper, shows it back in his pocket. And he goes, congratulations to you who made it. To those who didn't, you know, keep working because it's, it's not over yet. Um, just keep your head down, keep pushing, and I'm sure you'll get it next time. And everyone was like, well, no, you forgot one. Like, it was, yeah, it, it was, it was, it sucked. <laughs> and, uh, there was this moment where I had to decide, you know, is snowboarding what I really should be doing at this point? One of the things that I struggle with um, is with my disability, it sets me back in a very unique way. Um, with everyone else, uh, there's a lot of people who lived relatively normal lives and then got into a car accident or got into a boating accident or had some crazy thing happen to them where they lost their leg or part of their arm and had to learn you know, how to get back to normal with this this new obstacle this new prosthetic this this new whatever um but ultimately the rest of their body is still the same thing that it was and with me i've always been kind of behind the curve and i've always had to figure out how to play to my strengths and one of the biggest weaknesses that i have is my weight if you aren't gaining muscle then you're not weighing a lot i am and have always been consistently underweight with my CP, I've seen five different specialists all have given me the same answer that as far as muscle mass goes, there's not much you can do. Your legs are where you're affected primarily, and this is it. Those are the biggest your legs are going to get. We can still figure out ways to add weight on, on top, but you'll just have to focus on strength and not size. And in a gravity-fed sport, snowboarding, going downhill, size wins races a lot of the time and having this moment where you know i'm i'm ready to go i'm ready to make it i've been proving you know that i can hold my own and then not making it because i could have just weighed 50 more pounds and been fine it was it's one of these things where my parents were like hey now that you have the next you know four years to to think about going back let's go to college. Let's, let's get some of this other stuff out of the way, you know, and not to say that they were wrong. They, they weren't, they're great parents. They've always had my back. They're always looking out for me, but it was a moment where I had to choose. Was it one or the other? Was it go off and, and go live that normal life and get things set in place and then maybe come back and revisit snowboarding 
or do I keep pursuing this thing that maybe I'm not necessarily built for? And that was when I had this, this moment where I had to, I had to decide what snowboarding meant to me. I, was it just a career or was it a way of life? And looking at it that way, having a conversation with my coach, I had originally kind of given into my parents' plan. I had my plane ticket booked. I had a scholarship. I was ready to go. It was two weeks out from my flight taking off. And Dan calls me and he's like, hey, man, you go to college, you're going to miss a lot of World Cups. I think that you should, you know, reconsider. And I was like, yeah, I know. But at the same time, like, we have another four years and maybe I should just, like, go to school for a little bit. He's like, yeah, that's, that's not a bad plan. It's a good plan, actually. However, I still got my money on you. And I still think that any day of the week, you have a strong shot at making the podium. And I think that if you stay out here and you keep training and you eat lots of Pop-Tarts and you, you, know, you, you put that weight on as best you can, because I think that this is something you can be actually successful at. I think this is something you should still prioritize because at the end of the day, from what I know about you, you are gonna be happier on a mountain than an office or a hospital. If you're going to become a nurse, you, you know, you can do these great things, but I know that you're going to be happiest spending your time on snow. And that's when I decided that snowboarding was more than just a job. It was more than just a career. It's more than just something I wanted to do. It was something that I had to do. It was a part of me. It was what gave me purpose and freedom and passion and, and something to wake up and be excited about every day. And just having that has been incredible. And now I'm here and I've stuck with it and I've kept putting the work in and now I'm, I'm set up really well, you know, as long as I can continue to do what I've done in the past, there's a really strong shot that I'm going to go to the games and maybe even a strong shot. I'm going to bring something back and having that, being able to look back on just all of that and seeing the different ways that life was throwing curveballs at me left and right. And yet I was still just focused. I think that is what is what has kept me just who I am all these years. It's what's given me my drive and my purpose. And I couldn't be happier with it. I talked for so long. That's, I'm so sorry. No, that's perfect. You answered almost all of my questions, which is great. <laughs> <laughs> but I I appreciate you setting the stage though. That's awesome. Like that's an actual walkthrough of Zach Miller, which is what we need, right? Yeah. I have a million follow-up questions for you. Um, but I think I want to backtrack first and just talk about snowboarding. Yeah. How is snowboarding scored for people who don't know? Because when you said that you were off by, was it four hundredths of a second? Can you kind of explain, I guess, what that means in terms of the sport itself? Right. So there's a lot of different disciplines to snowboarding just generally, you know, and some of the very popular ones, you know, or like Sean White, half pipe, you know, and Red Gerard and slope style, um, freestyle, all that stuff. And those are all scored by judges' scorecards. Um, and there's a lot of people that love that. There's a lot of people that, you know, feel strongly about it in one way or the other. Um, but I think one of the reasons why I've been so attracted to border cross is because it's a form of racing and racing is always objective. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your story is. The only thing that matters is whether or not you cross the finish line first. That's it. 
if you cross the finish line first, then you won. It's not about how difficult your line was. It's not about how much you can bench press at the gym. It's about who gets to the bottom first. And so in border cross with, uh, with four people being on course, the way that the brackets will move into finals is that traditionally you start with about 16, 32, or even if you have that many people, 64 athletes that qualify for heats. You do that through a time trial. So you show up to you know, a new country, let's say it's Finland, and you'll have you know, a day to rest, a day to you know, get all your stuff together, and then you'll have usually one or two days of practice where they'll have the course up and you can show up and for about one or two hours, uh, sometimes they also limit the amount of runs you can take, you're allowed to you know, explore this course. And it starts with a very slow inspection where you're just looking at the features and kind of coming up with an idea in your head of how you want to go about navigating that. And then practice will fully open and you can drop out of the gate, you can start running on course, you can start at 30, 40, 50%, whatever you're comfortable with and work your way up until you're ready to race. And then race day will come and race day is, it's long. You show up early, you start handing out all the different papers, the coaches get everything that they need for their athletes. And then a small 30 minute window of practice opens where you get one run to basically make sure that the course is still same way it was the last time you were on it and you kind of get a refresher of what that line is that you want to take through. Then they will start what's called time trials. Time trials is with 30 second intervals, they'll release you onto the course and your job is to just set the fastest time. You're alone on course, it's just you and you're trying to go as fast as you can. If you set the fastest time, then you set yourself up for success later on. The way brackets work is once you have all the times from time trials you seed them into brackets and anyone that follows just like a basic championship kind of knows how to seed a bracket the way that they will do it with border cross is that let's say let's just keep it simple let's say that there are only eight athletes that showed up and so eight athletes qualify for heats first we'll race against fifth sixth and eighth actually no first we'll race against fourth fifth and eighth and then the other heat will be second third sixth and seventh so the faster you qualify the chance of racing someone small uh slower in heats you'll have the faster you qualify easier your race will be essentially once heats happen that's the thing is you might set a terrible time in time trials and it's something that you have to kind of be prepared for mentally because time trials don't matter. They're not, there's no points up for grabs. They're not the decider at the end of the day. Again, it's objective racing. It's whoever crosses the finish line first. You're just trying to set yourself up for success. Once heats start, that's it. You get into the gate with your three other competitors and they wait for a course clear. And then your, your technical director is the title for it. Your technical director will give you the command riders to the gate and man that already gets my heart like pumping riders to the gate means we're about to race so get your stuff in order and then he'll give what is our start cadence he'll say riders ready attention and as soon as he says attention anywhere in the next five seconds he will randomly 
drop the gate. And the second that gate drops, nothing else matters. Like I said before, your job is to just get to the bottom first. And I think that that is what's always kept me hooked with it is that it's, it's this crazy moment where time seems to kind of stall or pause or just fade away. There's almost this just eternal silence that falls while you're waiting for the gate to drop. And everybody is watching, by the way. No one else is talking, especially if it's finals. Like everybody is anticipating what's about to happen next. And that's the other reason why I just love snowboard racing is you can train your whole life for going to the Paralympic Games in that, that one race, but you still don't know what's going to happen until the very end. You have no clue. You have a faint idea of what you want to do, but the second the gate drops, there's going to be so many variables that you're just going to have to react to it and do your best. And so that moment is, I think, what always brings me back to it. That moment is my favorite part about snowboard racing. It's just dead silence. And especially if you wait the full five seconds, it can feel like eternity. And then it's just chunk and you're on course and you're racing and you're rubbing elbows with people. And if you are one of the lucky people who finishes first or second, then you advance to the next heat. If you're one of the last two that finishes, you're knocked out, which means you're done racing for the day. That's it. That was your only shot. And if you fall, like you could have been the fastest that day, you could have qualified first. If you fall in heats and you're third or fourth across the line, that's it. And that's the other reason why I find it really exciting. Uh, if you win, then you get a thousand points to your name. And if you lose, you get zero points to your name. And through that, you kind of will work your way up the world para snowboard rankings. Uh, and that's important for two things. It's important for making your nation's team, which for me, it's making the U.S. team. And the other thing is for making the Paralympic team. There's actually a difference between those two, which I think is something that's always kind of unique and what people might not understand is that just because you're on the U.S. team does not mean you are going to the games. I don't have my ticket punched yet. Anyone could qualify and take the spot that I want to be in. But this year we will start in the Netherlands. We're going to go to Finland after that, then Germany. Then we'll finally be able to come home after one month. And all of the competitions leading up to the games are going to be our qualifiers. They make the decision last minute. Literally, we go to world champs and then there's a two-week break for them to name the Paralympic team, get your tickets booked, get your stuff in order, and then hop on a plane and go to Beijing. And that is probably the just the craziest way for you to organize a sport and select a team like that. But it's it's important to make sure that when you're going to the games, you have at that moment the most competitive team. And so that's that's my job for the next what four months? Ah, it's gonna happen fast. <laughs> that's crazy. I want to go to all these places in the next four months. That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I want to go back to the five seconds. Or I guess it could, there could be five seconds. Right, yeah. That's something that, uh, backtracking again, I've learned so much about snowboarding just in the, the last however many minutes we've been talking. But 
I didn't know, I guess watching it on TV, I had no idea that they had between one and five seconds because I'm just sitting there waiting for it to happen. And I feel like the five seconds feels like 30 seconds when I'm watching We're it. We're all sitting here and waiting for it to happen. <laughs> Trust me, you're not the only one. <laughs> and I have no idea what I'm looking at. <laughs> like, I couldn't imagine how you feel waiting for that when I'm like tense and sweaty palms sitting on my couch. I couldn't imagine what you're feeling inside when it's actually happening. <laughs> but that's wild. I'm just sitting here thinking of all the stuff I've learned about this sport because I know nothing about snowboarding. I should have prefaced this with, I've never snowboarded in my life. So I truly have no idea what this is like to do, but I'm fascinated <laughs> just hearing you speak about it. <laughs> I love it. Cool. Okay, let's see. A couple more questions for you, kind of as a follow-up. Um, but I guess kind of talking about, I want to go back to adaptive action sports, but I also want to talk about what you have learned about yourself as a person through the sport. Um, so maybe let's start with adaptive action sports and then move into what you've learned about yourself. And then we'll kind of wrap up with the other few mentorship and advice questions. Um, but can you just explain again, a little bit deeper, maybe about what adaptive action sports is and what your involvement is? Yeah. Um, so what's actually kind of nice is that I can probably answer both of your questions Great. with the same answer. Um, Adaptive Action Sports, like I said, is a nonprofit organization co-founded by Daniel Gale and Amy Purdy to facilitate the, the instruction of teaching snowboarding to uh, anyone with a physical disability and generally just improving quality of life. That's always been their mission. And being a part of Team AAS or Adaptive Action Sports uh, has been a huge part of my life for a couple different reasons. Number one, obviously it's the opportunity to compete. It was the opportunity to be a part of a competitive, you know, high functioning team that was traveling the world, showing up to world cups and trying to score some points. Um, but more importantly than that, uh, snowboarding, snowboarding just by itself gave me a sense of purpose and most importantly, a sense of freedom. One thing that I've always liked about snowboarding is the fact that when you're wearing all your gear, nobody knows who you are, unless they you know, know your gear and recognize your riding style. You're just another person that's out there on the mountain. And the only thing that's going to get their attention is if you're shredding your face off or scorpioning all the way down the mountain and smacking yourself in the back of your head with your own feet. That's one of the biggest reasons why I think I fell in love with snowboarding to begin with is, you know, if you're the scrawny kid and you're picking teams for dodgeball, chances are you're probably not going to be picked first. But if you are just ripping a line through the park and having fun while you're doing it, then people are watching and people are cheering for you. And people are just happy that you're happy and having fun and doing the thing that we all love to do and that that we're all out here for. And so snowboarding itself just gave me that kind of freedom. It didn't matter who I was. It didn't matter if I had a disability or not. It just mattered whether or not I was carbon. And then becoming a part of adaptive action sports, that's what shaped a big part of who I am today because that gave me a family and a community that I didn't have before. It's sometimes it's, it's difficult. It's something that everybody faces. We all have our own unique set of challenges. Mine just happened to be physical, but everyone has something that's bothering them. Maybe it's a financial problem. Maybe it's a relationship problem. It could be anything. And 
problems like that, obstacles in our life, give us two options. We can sit there and succumb to the obstacle, whether it's, you know, just sitting and waiting for it to get out of the way, uh, not trying at all, or just attacking it instead of trying to overcome it. That's one choice. And the other choice is trying to figure out how to get around it, up, around, underneath, straight through sometimes. You know, our obstacles in life give us a chance to grow or to stay the same. And when you have people around you that have similar obstacles and that are working their own ways on how to overcome them, you become this team that's not just traveling the world and snowboarding, but also overcoming daily obstacles with their disabilities and sharing that information with the people next to them and, you know, lending a helping hand when one of us is struggling. Um, and I think having that kind of family that had so much in common with me that I could finally relate to that didn't make me feel so lonely. Now, that's the other thing is that obstacles can make you feel lonely, especially if you have an obstacle that no one else around you is currently dealing with. You know, it's easy to get into that. Well, they just don't understand. And to have a physical disability is one of the easiest ways to feel like you're not understood. And having, like I said, a group of people that did understand and that had their own ways to overcome their challenges and share those with me and be able to work to those things together. It wasn't just that we would celebrate snowboard victories. You know, if one of us would lay down an awesome run and they would qualify for heats or even finals. There were also days where, you know, we'd have a personal victory, whether it was finally being able to bench press my own weight or being able to, you know, get a prosthetic leg fixed and get back out on the snow and just being greeted with like high fives and good vibes like that. That was a big part of what kept me in the sport is because I had found truly like a home with it and a family. And that's also the other thing is the bond that you create with teammates and especially coaches. That is something that not only lasts forever, but it's one of the, the closest bonds that you can have with someone because think about it, you are speed running a relationship with this person. Truly, you are speed running a relationship. You are with them through their absolute highs and their worst lows. You're there when they get injured. You're there when they are doing their best. You're there when they're having problems and they're when they're just crushing it at life. You're there when they're traveling and taking pictures and making memories and going and seeing these things that most people don't get to see and being a part of it all. It's, it's incredible. And to have that was just, it's made me want to do everything I can to give back and to give that to the next person is because that was the other thing for me. I was really young when I discovered the sport. And so a lot of my teammates and peers and coaches they were all 20 years older than I was. And now there's this new generation of athletes coming in and all these new people that are my age. And it's, it's kind of cool to now be around these people who I can relate even closer to that I can, you know, send TikToks to and, and then go and shred with. And that's one of my biggest goals is that I don't want to leave the sport until I know that everyone within it 
is taken care of. And, you know, I'd love to stick around and be a coach when I'm done competing because Daniel Gale is without a doubt the biggest figure in my life. Um, he has practically adopted me um, from the first like few weeks that he, he met me at Copper to today. Um, we have traveled the world together. We've done all these amazing things, seen these amazing places and got to where I am today because of him. And that's one of the biggest, biggest things that I'm thankful for with the sport is just the relationships that I've created along the way. You know, snowboarding in and of itself is fine, but it's that much better when you have people that you're doing it with that you love and that love you and that you look out for each other and have fun with um, and push each other to the next level too. And so, yeah, what was, what was the second question that you had? What was the first question? You answered it. It's perfect. It was mentorship. Who's, I guess, the person that you look up to. So I think you got it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Dan. I mean, it's the guy who just always has a smile on his face to greet anything that's going on, you know, lost your baggage. That sucks. And he'll just start cracking jokes because at the end of the day, you are going to be okay. Honestly, it's just luggage. Um, you know, it's, it's just a snowboard. It's just, it's just whatever. It's just money. It's just, none of it matters. The thing that matters is that you're doing what you love. You're doing what means a lot to you and that you're doing it with people that you love. And if you're doing that, then you're crushing it. You don't have to be winning medals. Like if accounting is just your jam and you know, you got friends that you're doing your accounting with, then more power to you, honestly. Like I'm stoked for you and keep crushing it because that's, I think the biggest lesson that snowboarding has taught me is you know, it's competitive, it's high stakes, it's stressful, it's anxious, it's expensive. But at the end of the day, it's, it's what I want to be doing. It's what I'd rather be spending my time doing. And, you know, I, that's one thing that I'm thankful to my parents for is that they exposed me to a lot. And they, you know, they, they supported me in pretty much anything I wanted to do. And so being able to have the opportunity as a kid to try so many new things uh, is the only reason that I discovered snowboarding and found the thing that gives my life meaning and purpose. And, you know, if you find that, don't ever let it go. Even if you miss it by four one hundredths of a second and then your parents tell you to go to college, just don't because that is what you're meant to be doing. And as long as you're doing that, as long as you're just doing it, you're participating, you're waking up and you're going to do it and you're staying focused and determined, then you'll get there. Like it's, that's something that I would go back and tell myself five years ago. If I could walk up to my 17 year old self, oh man, he's in for some heartbreak. <laughs> I would grab him by the shoulder and just say, listen, man, life is not going to be nice to you. It isn't nice to anybody. And it's going to, it's going to kick in between the legs. It's going to take your lunch money. And then it's going to make fun of you for even being here. And you're going to want to quit, dude. You're going to want to give up. You're going to want to just stop. You're going to want to go to college and make your parents happy. And while there's not necessarily a lot of things that are wrong with that, the only thing that I want you to know 
is that if you're smiling, you're doing it right. If what you're doing is making you feel good and is giving you that, that sense of belonging, then don't stop. Honestly, just, just keep working because if you stay in the same place and you keep your head down and you work when nobody else wants to, you're going to get there. A lot of people, especially people who you know, are, are good at lots of things, they'll bounce around in life. You know, they'll stay at this job until they get bored and they'll go to this job until they get bored and then they'll go to that job until they get bored. And, you know, it's not necessarily just jobs all the time either. It's, it's relationships. It's, it's anything. And while that can be fun and it can you know, teach you a lot of things and you can experience a lot all at once, I think if you really want to be successful, then you pick what you want to do and you stay there and you work. You're the first one in, you're the last one out. You are detail-oriented. You're a perfectionist. Even if you're lazy and you have the time management skills of a potato like I do, just focusing on it and figuring out, you know, what are my weaknesses? What are my strengths? How do I improve on that? How do I add structure to my life? How do I make sure that I'm getting up at 6.30 every morning and making this movie? Ugh. It can be exhausting, it can be rough, and you just want to move on to the next thing. But if it's something you really care about and it's something that's making you smile, just stick around for a little bit longer. That's awesome advice, and that's exactly why I like to end the show with this question, because hopefully it resonates. They take it out into the world and listen. Yeah. Maybe somebody needed that today, I don't know. Mm. <laughs> but this was perfect. You've answered all of my questions so very well and I learned so much not just about you but about the sport in general because like I said I came in very cold to the sport so thank you so much for being our first snowboarder on the show and yeah so thanks proud. for giving some of your time <laughs> yes again thank you so much for having me it's been awesome to share my story and and be a part of you know this show that you've had some amazing people on um, so to be next to them and to be a part of this is a big honor for me. And um, I'm just, I'm just happy to have told a little bit more about snowboarding, you know, for anyone that's interested in trying it, go out and try it. Um, it's, it's not gonna be fun for the first couple of days. You, know, you might fall on your butt a few times, maybe wear some pads. Um, but again, just if you're having fun, keep going, stop in into the lodge for a hot chocolate and then get right back out there and try to get that toe side. Um, and you know i'm i'm up here if you'd ever like to come by and learn how to snowboard i would love to teach you um but it's yeah it's it's something that you know has just given me given me some joy given me some happiness and that's what life is all about i love it i can feel the excitement about the sport through the zoom screen right now <laughs> Good. Good. Again, There's a lot. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Zach, thank you so very much for being our first episode of season four of Adventures with Aggie. Join us next week for a series featuring Dromos Agency.